Hello, it's Monday the 5th of June. The bundles have been tossed out of the back of the van and it's time to say welcome to our brand new podcast about the majesty and madness of the great British press. This is Paper Cuts, the modern press review for today's busy browser. And I'm Miranda Sawyer with a tell-all tale. We'll be here every Monday, Wednesday and Friday to look at the obsessions, the prejudices and sometimes the triumphs of newspapers. Those fire starters that still wield outsized power in Britain, the good, the bad and the frankly balmy. Follow us on your favourite app so you don't miss an episode. On today's debut edition, here are the headlines. Had your fill yet? Ex-TV host Schofield is still all over the front pages. Who's masking? Covid inquiry hearings launch next week and pay as you OAP. 35 year mortgages are becoming popular. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the morning press so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts. We're here to pick apart the morning papers in all their strangeness and occasional glory and to find out what they think we're like as a country. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and here to help me today is new statesman, columnist and political brain about town, Marie Lecomte. Hello, Marie. <laughs> Bonjour to you. Also with us, we have comedian and writer for The Last Leg, 8 Out of 10 Cats and Late Night Mash, Gronya Maguire. Hello, Gronya. Dear rich cock dinner. This <laughs> very your vision. Right. <laughs> I'm not replying because I'll get it wrong. OK, so what headlines have grabbed your attention today, Marie? What have you got? So in the Daily Mail, we've got record demand for 35-year mortgages as rates keep rising. Good news, yay. Yes, uh, great for dinner parties, conversation. Exactly. In the sun, we have Phil. I want to watch Holly. Um, so, you know, incredible they're still going on this. It's been I feel like it's been years now, but uh, we are where we are. And then in the eye, we've got Generation AI, most fearful of losing their jobs to robots. Uh, so again, more good news for young people. Go us. Yes, exactly. Grania, what do you have in your Russell pile? Uh, well... So in The Guardian, uh, Tory austerity left Britain hugely unprepared, uh, that's in inverted commas, for COVID, say, unions, and a lovely picture of a girl chatting to a dog. OK, I think that's not to do with the <laughs> austerity, right? Um, well, who knows? Who knows? Maybe that's because she seems to be sharing an ice cream with the dog. So maybe that's a result of Tory underspending over all those years. Uh, then in the Daily Telegraph, lockdown benefits a drop in the bucket compared to the cost. And a lovely sort of very moody blue picture of Boris Johnson looking a bit annoyed. Yeah. And then the big news the Daily Star is covering. We're oven ready Brits and a picture of a guy on the beach and he seems to be wearing a shower cap for some reason and the news that it's going to be 27 degrees Celsius which as somebody who genuinely once got heat stroke in 15 degrees is big news for me <laughs> you need a shower cap is that I what you're do. saying I think I might need a shower cap but the, so it's going to be sunny and then they've also given a free ice cream sundae for every reader that is nice it's a pr- basically a few what a scorcher headline isn't it so let's have a look at some of the stories. Let's have a look at the Philip Schofield story, Marie. You Yay. have got a couple of uh, of things here. We've got uh, the Sun. Mm. Phil, I won't watch Holly. The Mail as well um, mentioned this morning meltdown. Holly's back on the sofa today, but will she bring herself to say Phil's name? Well, exactly. So, I mean, will she? But I'm going to say his name. That this story, Philip Schofield's story, doesn't seem to be going away, does it? Um, he's quit. But he's still on the front pages. He's literally not on the telly anymore. Why is he still on the front pages? 
I am finding it, frankly, quite puzzling. Well, I'm guessing that, you know, he's not necessarily helping himself by giving a number of interviews day after day after day. I feel like, you know, and I, I'm no PR supremo, but I would say if he were my client, if you do not want to be in the headlines, maybe don't make headlines. But, you know, maybe that's just me. But uh, but yes, no, I, I am, you know, maybe that's the foreigner in me talking, but I am quite baffled by the fact that it's now turned into a, what, you know, 17 day story. And what do you think, Gronje? Why do you think he's still in there? I just think it's such a I think it's a really fascinating story and I think the news has been so bleak for so long and obviously at the heart of it is quite a you know the uns, you know unsettling aspects of the story but it is sort of I love stories like this because if you're not good at small talk and then you meet people you haven't seen for ages <laughs> it's just like every you can go Philip Schofield day and then everybody has an opinion everybody can talk about it everybody knows who he is and it's that fascinating idea of like what people are really like behind the curtains and I think that is so fascinating and I, I just it's it's why people follow the royals. It's that it's like these public figures, they're cartoon characters, and it's this narrative that you kind of know you don't know Philip Schofield, but maybe you know somebody like him, and everybody can have an opinion on it. So I think that's why um, it's still. I do think it's kind of a substitute royals. I mm. do think that because obviously there's a there's a public face, and then whatever is going on behind the scenes. But there's also an element within the press, and I would say particularly in the male because the male. Mm broke his story of an apology uh, for having a relationship with a Mm. runner uh, a few years ago and um, in that apology he apologised to the male and what that says to me is that the male had the story ready they approached him and they and he got legaled up and said you can't run it. Oh, wasn't it what happened that he denied it entirely I believe. Exactly Um, so he denied mm. it and I think that if you deny things that are true Mm. to the newspapers. The newspapers don't really forgive you. They keep going. A bit of a cartel mentality, isn't it? For good or ill, I think, depending on the story, but kind of, you know, either you play ball or we will make your life so annoying for Mm. so long, which does seem to be what's happening now. Of saying, actually, you know, if you'd come clean, then we probably would have moved on after three days. Because you didn't, we are just going to write about this day after day after day after day after day. Yes, exactly. Plus it's on the telly. Holly's still on the telly. We're waiting for what she's going to say. Well, she, I could not she, wait. She's gonna be. She's she's got this amazing insight that you should be kind. Oh, nobody's ever said this before. Yeah, you should just be kind, guys. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. Just be hashtag be kind. Oh, thanks. And I just that 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 phrase it drives me off the wall. <laughs> it's so meaningless. Like it actually means nothing. You could say that about anything. Oh, be kind. It's just like, guys, uh, if you're arguing with me, could you just try being kind instead? Mm. Or if you say anything that I don't like. Hey, guys, just be kind. Yes, well, it's very Holly, isn't it? Because she is kind. So, look, this brings us to a semi-regular item we're going to call You What, Mate? <laughs> so, look, let's have a look in the star. There is a headline here. Do you want to read it out, Cronia? Oh, my God, here we go. This reads like a text from my mum. Um, Jezza Scoff Witch Hunt Blast. What does this mean? <laughs> it's just a word salad. It's lots of different words piled on top of each other. Jezza Scoff Witch... This is like an eye test, I've just realised. <laughs> Jessa Scoff Witch Hunt Blast Slams Weird Outreach. I mean, a clue? A clue. Uh, so Jeremy Clarkson dubbed the outrage over Philip Schofield's affair with a younger male colleague, Weird. Okay, so that's literally it. That's so it. Jeremy Clarkson said it was weird. Yeah. Okay, and that's our headline. Jeffrey. It's an amazing thing. I mean, it must take a long time to think up. 
I just quite like, say, it's, you know, these are the Sunday for Monday papers. There's probably one sub there going, uh, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Bang it out. <laughs> you know what I mean. The Mail's headline, should we find that? that? This is about mortgages. It's essentially about how everyone's going to be paying mortgages for 35 years. And one in five first-time buyers are getting these really long mortgages now uh, because of the high interest rates spreading it out over a long time. Marie, why has the Mail gone with this? The Daily Mail's version of Britain is a country where absolutely everyone, I think, is a homeowner. Like that's that kind of, you know, small C conservative vision of the country and the world. So obviously, you know, having having a situation where people cannot really own houses or a situation where actually, you know, people with mortgages do not feel that safe. Let's be honest, if you take, you know, one of these massively long mortgages, you're not going to have the sort of life that, you know, outright owners have for a very, very long time. So I think it, it is kind of like the story in and of itself feels quite straightforward, but it's more like what happens, I think, as a consequence of more and more people um, having mortgages um, It is probably what's uh, important here. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I think it's uh, like the thing about the housing crisis is it feels a little bit like the climate crisis. So mm-hmm. it's like a story that's developing over time and actually changes the whole country. So if you look at some places like London, nobody can afford to live there once they have kids. So everybody moves out, mm-hmm. which means that the schools have fewer kids. So the schools basically have to reduce their class sizes so they get less money, so they have fewer teachers. Teachers can't afford to live in London. So everybody moves out of the big cities where it's incredibly expensive to live, moves somewhere else, the countryside, the suburbs, and that changes, for instance, voting. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're a naturally kind of woke city dweller who's now living in the suburbs, that actually changes the, 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 the way... The, the country works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so dopey. When I read that headline, I didn't realise that was a long time for a mortgage. <laughs> I mean, it's like so aspirational. To my head, it's like, oh, if you get a mortgage, you just pay that forever. Like, it's, it's no, so... same, same. I was like, oh, is that not normal then? Like, I remember the first time I realised that my parents have probably paid their mortgage off. I was like, oh my God, they just live in their house for free. <laughs> I couldn't get it. It's so mad. So I think it it very much it must be targeted to people who are aware that that is an unusually long period to pay off mortgage rather than dopey people like me yeah but that's also the the the, the other interesting side of that is you then therefore you're renting and yeah. you can never decide to get one of these 35-year mortgages because it's completely beyond the, the normal person yeah and it's like you said i think yeah, it's 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 just become more like when I see sometimes in areas where there's like loads of kids in cafes in my head about how can these fancy kids afford to live in Hampstead Heath? <laughs> Genuinely, it's just, yeah, it's it's it feels I cannot all my friends, basically, as soon as they have kids, it's like, oh, bye. Where will you be moving to? Yeah, out, out. The suburbs are the place to be, apparently. Just on the political point, I think on on a slightly wonkish point, I think there is, as you were saying, something quite interesting about people moving out and something that's... So if you look at the past few elections, the Tory vote has been very well balanced across the country, which obviously when it goes well, that's tremendous because that means their vote is efficient. It's kind of, yeah, balanced balanced out across Mm -hmm. lots of constituencies. The problem is that, you know, that that goes the other way as well. So I think that means that there are lots of constituencies, but they're not that safe at all. They do not need that many people to move in and say, oh, actually, you know, we're kind of natural Labour voters. We're going to vote 
labor. So I think that that's also, I wonder if that's not kind of behind that as well in terms of the thinking for those papers of going, actually, this will definitely put the Conservatives in trouble because they're very finely balanced kind of, you know, voting patterns mm. across the UK will fall apart if people start moving about. And they will move out. They're, they're mm. definitely moving about. I mean, you, you, you will take me out of zone two, you know, yep. kicking and screaming personally. <laughs> but yeah, the, the others... Yes, exactly. Once they have a child, out they go to Zone 77. (laughs) This is the Guardian headline. Tory austerity left Britain hugely unprepared for COVID, say unions. Um, The UK COVID inquiry is going to start its opening hearing next week. This is the Guardian story to bring the context. Um, What is it, Grania? Yes. So uh, there's a TUC report that is saying that because of the Tory austerity for, what, 12 years, uh, Britain was completely unprepared for COVID. And that's why um, the country did so badly during COVID and during lockdown because of all these years of austerity. Yes, I mean, £14 billion in cuts in Social Security support to households since 2010 is one of the things that they Mm. said. So that meant that people who were living in poverty were more likely to get ill Mm. from COVID, as we know, and there were more people in poverty. There's some terrible stats in the article, I must say, like this, like it says that 2019 capital investment in UK health sector was 10% below 2010 levels. So, I mean, it's, it's quite a kind of devastating series of stats but why is it coming out now why are they why the TUC talking about this now well I think they're sort of setting their argument and like I am the most cliche guardian reader in the whole world so reading this I'm like yeah I know (laughs) like I'm like yeah 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 I know like the country is just like it's it's so you know all the public services were just like cut back cut back cut back the general health of the country isn't very good housing is really bad so of course then when COVID happened, you know, everything was much worse. So it, it seems like The Guardian is sort of setting the stall for how they are going to report on all the COVID inquiries. So the, the COVID inquiry has started, but the hearings are starting next week. And they're going to look at kind of umpteen aspects of the pandemic. Mm. The first one is the UK's preparedness for emergencies. So this is why The Guardian is bringing out uh, mm. a piece like this, isn't it? Absolutely. I think, you know, because the the kind of blockbuster part of the inquiry is starting next week. So I think every kind of, you know, political player, like bit of the spectrum is now coming out and saying, OK, well, you know, this is the angle we're going to be taking going forward. Yeah. I mean, we could look at the Daily Telegraph because that they're also talking about COVID, but that's a completely different headline, isn't it? It is. Lockdown benefits, a drop in the bucket compared to the costs. Um, so draconian measures were a policy failure that saved as few as 1,700 lives in England and Wales in spring 2020. Major study findings. I mean, that's an amazing stat. If you just read it as a punter, it's basically saying when lockdown happened in March 2020, when it was a huge panic, it only saved as few as 1,700 lives in England and Wales, which seems ludicrous. It, it does. And I think, you know, I, I will happily throw my hands up and say I've not read the full paper. So it is based on an a- 
academic paper. It's not researched by the Telegraph. Um, and it, you know, and it is done by universities. Like there's no reason to think they're entirely wrong. But it is comparing, I think, Britain to a different countries. Mm. Um, and I wonder, in saying, you know, for example, a place like Sweden, where actually like their their kind of policy was a lot more lax, um, and actually the, they did not see, you know, a sort of tremendous amount of deaths, especially compared to Britain. But my thing is like, and and again, this is an honest question. But I'm a bit like, okay, but can you compare the health system in Sweden to the NHS? Because we all remember, I think, and again, in, I am someone who I would say, uh, you know, think and thought at the time that um, the lockdowns should have been a bit more lax, actually, and a bit shorter. But we remember what it was like, especially in spring 2020. The NHS was on the verge of collapsing. You know, we all know or knew people who knew people who worked in hospitals. None of them were coping. I think not a single hospital was coping uh, in Britain in the spring 2020. So the idea that, you know, without a lockdown, we would have been fine. Like we specifically in Britain would have been fine. Um, feels quite puzzling, I will say. And it's also, I mean, the tele- why is the, tele- is the Telegraph that's running this story? I think sometimes when you read, if you read a lot of papers, you kind of go, oh, that, that, that seems completely fine over here. We're talking about austerity. And over here, we're talking about we don't like, we don't, we don't like lockdowns, lockdown don't work. I mean, it's a, it's a Telegraph angled story, isn't it? It is. So they have gone, to, <laughs> to use the technical term, they've gone mad libertarian, um, you know, over the pandemic. Uh, which I find really fascinating because actually if you look at, you know, A, you know, there's not an obvious constituency in the country in terms of, you know, if you're trying to get more readers, actually not. If you look at the polling, especially in Britain, very few people think or thought at the time that the lockdowns were too strict. Um, But also even politically, you know, it's it's really not so that there's a slither, I suppose, of the Conservative Party who really went anti-lockdown, but it's not even a big one. Even Boris Johnson, you know, who was once upon a time their great hero and their great hope, um, he's the one who did the lockdown. So, so no, I do, I do find it quite puzzling, and I'm usually quite. I'm not a fan of saying, "Ooh, you know, the the shady newspaper editors with their weird views." Um, but actually, on this one, I can't really think of what else it could be. I think that it's just the people high up at the Telegraph have become mad libertarians. But also, the survey has been published by the IEA, the Institute of Economic Affairs, a Tufton Street outfit. Um, who are they? Oh, mad libertarians. <laughs> uh, but no, no, so the, the, the slightly longer version is that they are a think tank. I mean, they've been around for a very long time, but kind of, yeah, again, on that on that very sort of like hyper-free marketeer kind of uh, Tory side where, you know, that the, they were the big sort of list trust supporters to give you a general flavour of, of kind of who they are. But no, so, so they, they, you know, they... They encourage, I guess, you know, any kind of, yeah, very libertarian, small, small, tiny shrinking state uh, thinking in the Parliamentary Conservative Party, but also in uh, friendly Fleet Street outlets. So essentially, I mean, this is a, a big headline, but it's taken from a survey that has been published by quite a kind of right wing think tank. It is. And I think uh, <laughs> on, on a slightly wonky but cynical note, uh, it is quite funny that several of the stories, the front page stories we've discussed today have just come from uh, surveys or press releases, etc. done by other people, which I think is, is a classic of the Sunday for Monday newspaper headline. <laughs> going, you know, there were no real news. There were, again, three journalists in the newsroom and they went, oh, what's in my inbox? And can we turn this into a front page? Because there's nothing else going on. I think that that is generally the conduits for all the stories we've been discussing. The COVID inquiry is going to have a bit of a job though wading through all these political angles don't you think well this is what I find so cynical about it because it feels like sort of the way the telegraph is covering it it's very like oh well do you know what I mean mistakes were made and it probably did go a bit too far and then it sort of re 
sort of colouring how we all remember lockdown. Because then we all kind of go, yeah, kind of, they probably did go too far. So then, like, if people broke the rules, well, I mean, the rules are a bit silly in the first place. And then if mistakes were made with sort of contracts and who were getting contracts, well, you know, so many people made mistakes and it's better to just to move on and we all went too far. And I think that's such a cynical rebranding of what happened. So that makes me annoyed but then the guardian is the union saying it was all austerity's fault and as a left-wing guardian reader i'm like yes they are completely (laughs) right this is completely the correct angle so so essentially they're appealing to their readers they're doing their job Mm. yeah i'm david badil i'm a writer and a comedian and a jew i'm saeed avasi i'm a businesswoman and a politician and a muslim Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Most people talk about us, and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, yeah. we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about women, shall we? The the papers love to talk about women. Marie, you have um, the cover of Times 2. Times 2, I mean, mean, it's essentially where I go to find out how to be a woman, (laughs) I have to say. Um, And Megan, surprisingly, has got a cover. A neutral story, I will say as well. £300,000 a post, how Megan could become a super influencer. So every time she puts something on Instagram, she's going to get 300 grand. Yeah, I mean, same. You know, she's not special. <laughs> <laughs> and what um, what's the story inside them? Uh, well, so she is, uh, Megan is restarting her lifestyle blog, I believe, and she's kind of going back online. Yes, the Tig, uh, named after the favourite wine of her character in Suits, which I uh, really regrettably know because I really enjoy Suits. I'm just going to move straight on from that. Uh, <laughs> no one's perfect. Um, but yes, no, so she, she may be becoming an influencer, which I think is quite interesting. So the story itself is, again, like, written quite neutrally, but there's a bit of a thing, right? Of like, what are they going to do in the US, Harry and Meghan? Because, you know, they can't just make documentaries and interviews about their lives with the royals forever. And they will have to make money at some point. So I feel like that that's kind of the underlying thing of going, well, they are going to have to get a job at some point. You can imagine a kind of Instagram account with them and the kids, can't you? I oh, mean, absolutely. You can Unbearable as well. It. And the chickens, the fucking chickens. Oh. Yeah, and running around the back garden, you know, jumping. Like, they're always jumping kids <laughs> oh, in, in Instagram posts, yeah. aren't they? They're just jumping, and like, but like in a cute manner. I mean, 300 mm. grand a post. I think, but I, Megan is so smart. Megan will be fine. Me, Harry's going to be her trophy husband. He's going to, like, sort of be at dinner parties. Is he being a trophy? Gonna be, Oh, I mean, she's going to make money because she's she's just been signed with a talent agent, a big talent agent in Hollywood. So she's going to, and she's getting into producing. She's going to have a book club. Guys, prepare yourself. Megan's going to have a book club. <laughs> um, a little life will be the start. <laughs> it'll be fabulous. Her and Reese Witherspoon chatting away, wearing like matching trilby hats, <laughs> drinking tea in the garden with her book club. She's going to make so much money and poor little Harry will just sort of arrive in the background and be like, oh, guys, give speech. OK, no, he'll just arrive and offer them tea. Won't yeah, he? yeah. He'll be tea, maybe a bit of yoga. Um, and in the Telegraph, there is actually one of your favourite all-time influencers, isn't there? There Gonya? is. There is Instagram's own Caroline Calloway. She gave... Um, 
You've got oh to my... explain who she is. Oh Caroline God. Calloway. Okay, I mean, I actually do know, so I'll, I'll give a praise, shall I? So she, she, was, uh, she had a kind of Instagram built around the fact that she went to Cambridge University yeah. a, 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 as an American. Yeah. An American. Can you believe it? How did it even happen? <laughs> <laughs> an American with long hair and a miniskirt in, in Cambridge. And, um, and then she, it all went wrong, right? So she presented a very sort of romanticised view of life in Cambridge to sort of tween followers on Instagram and then she was supposed to write a book about her experience but then she didn't and then there's a whole expose about who actually wrote the treatment for the book and who actually wrote her 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 Instagram comments that made her famous and now she uh, so she was exposed as a bit of a scammer and then she said she was going to write a book about being a scammer but called she, scammer called scammer but she still actually hasn't released the book uh, but then Vanity Fair did a profile about her and she bragged that she actually lied in her thing to get into so in Cambridge. her application for, 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 for so right from the start in order to, in order to get into Cambridge she did a fake resume she got some I mean I presume somebody else to write some kind yeah. of application form in order to get into Cambridge I have to say about her book the first book that she was going to write which I don't know what it was called but she got a kind of 500 grand advance and then said oh sorry I can't write it gave 100 grand back so got 400 grand for not writing a book, which I feel like I could do that. Like, <laughs> I'm really busy not writing a book. Give me 400 grand. But you see, this, so this is what I find I find so irritating about these sort of Caroline Callow- Calloways. I think the world is divided into two people. The people who, like, do all the work and get stressed about it and the people who just vibe. And I feel like she's just a viber. Like, there's no way in a... There's no... I, that, the anxiety, if I haven't replied to an email, let alone not written a book that I've been paid for, and the fact that she's so, like, casually sort of bragging about not doing stuff. Uh, and, and literally getting Vanity Fair profiles for Yeah. That all sounds lovely. Why is she in The Telegraph? And may I just say, on page three of The Telegraph? Well, because she... Um, I've got a Vanity Fair profile. No, Bronya, you're wrong. It's because it's a lovely picture <laughs> of her <laughs> in Cambridge yes. with a beautiful mini dress on and some high boots. I that, mean, that's that why true. she's in the Telegraph. She's the posh totty. Posh totty. Liars prosper, guys. <laughs> Liars and lazy people prosper. There will be a Netflix documentary on Short her. Short lies. So, Marie, there's uh, an amazing headline in The Times about ageing. Oh, yes. No, I believe there are some good news for me. Finally, finally in the end times too. Aging? No, thanks. I'm a millennial. But <laughs> I am thrilled about it. So no, no one told me. I feel like I missed the meeting as a millennial where, you know, we got informed that apparently we are not going to age. This is perfect. I mean, I'd like to say aging, no thanks. I'm Generation X. But unfortunately, <laughs> it seems to have happened. This, I mean, I, I you do don't look a day over 17. Thank you. That's so lovely. I thought you were going to say 70. And I was about, we were about to have a fight, but you know, fine. I mean, I do find this idea that aging and appearance, I mean, it's a constant way to sell papers to us, yeah. isn't it? I mean, mm. you know, all the lifestyle is aimed at, at you know at, at us I have to say mm-hmm. and it's about mm-hmm. how we can look lovely and 
short skirts and high boots. It, in front it, of it is annoying because actually the, the actual story is about the fact that my generation has uh, it is the skincare routine uh, generation, mm. and annoyingly I am one of those people. I do wear SPF Factor Fifty every single day, even if I don't leave the house, even in the winter. Um, I've got stuff I put in the morning. I've got stuff I put in the evening. Yeah. I've got yeah. No, so annoyingly, like as much as I want to be, you know. Uh, making fun of this I can't because I am one of those people I bring stuff if I go away for one night I will bring a whole bag of products with me for one night See, but that do you know that I, do, but I, mean, I don't think all people exist anymore think about all people like the old like if you're talking about old people nowadays like 70s like if they don't exist like the oldest people it's like the Woodstock generation like I just I just I'm don't re- feeling really old now because I feel like I'm one generation down from that <laughs> <laughs> whole idea of like oh you get really old and you put your hair in a bun you sit on a rocking chair yes it's not allowed that's the unfortunate element i mean the, the one thing that you, you you could guarantee would be fun about aging is the fact you got to wear a headscarf and not it underneath yeah. your chin and bitch about your neighbors and nobody minded and like now that's not going to happen and like another thing is like retiring that is aspirational maybe Very that's what true. they mean like young you know gen z will be working till they're 92 so um and there's an interesting cover line from the eye Oh, yes, I really enjoyed men who cheat on extraordinary wives are broken um, because it implies that actually if you'll cheat on your normal wife, then that, that's just fine. <laughs> All good. Yeah. Carry on, carry on. Carry on. I feel extraordinary. No good. <laughs> We're coming to the end of today's edition, which means it's time to choose the weirdest, the smartest, the best headlines from today's press. What are our headlines of the day then? So, Marie. Oh, so, <laughs> um, I laughed out loud uh, at a story from Metro, uh, which was, passenger airlifted off cruise wasn't even ill. <laughs> just, he was just annoying. Just, just, really annoying. Annoying. just yeah, off you pop. <laughs> and um, uh, Gronje, you've got one from the star, right? Oh my God, this is, the, we, we should have been covering, this should have been the lead story. It's UFOs, it's a fix. Governments are secretly repairing crashed craft reveals ex-spy. Well, it's the star. I mean, if you want any UFO information, it's always the star. I have, I mean, sadly, as a United supporter, lots of good headlines on City winning the FA Cup because Elton John happened to just turn up, you know, have his photo taken (laughs) in a kind of John Terry manner. Um, And the mirror has candle in the wind, which is, I think, Mm. pretty good. That's Mm -hmm. a solid headline. The Sun has Ilke scored a rocket man. Also pretty good. Tenuous, I would say tenuous. Yes. But the male has singing the blues because, and that's rubbish because it should be, I guess, I guess that's why they call it the blues. And the star has completely let us down. We love the star, but they have sing when you're winning, which is a Robbie Williams song. Okay. Marie, you've got one, haven't you? Oh, yes. um, I've got... The swiftly closed case of my stolen catalytic converter is a sad indictment of modern day policing. Park life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, beautiful. end of the very first paper cuts we hope you've enjoyed our journey through the inky jungle if you have don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast app and follow us on twitter and instagram at paper cut show the link is in the show notes where we'll be marveling at more of the highs and the lows of the fourth estate thanks to Gronya maguire 
Where can we see you next? Well, you can listen to me on my podcast about celebrity breakups the way they were. Oh, yeah. And weep, obviously. <laughs> and weep. And thanks to Marie Lecomte. And where can we read you next, Marie? Um, I believe in the New Statesman soon, or the Eye newspaper. Actually, I've got a really fun feature coming out very soon. Okay, I've been Miranda Sawyer, and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when the mirror revealed that ancient Rome's preferred perfume was patchouli oil, with the excellent headline, Et tu brut. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time.